Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, looking at you, Jessica, and others. Thank you for submitting. Unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headline so you and I can react together. So let's go. So our first article comes from palmbeachpost.com, and the title reads, Do you know her? Delray police release rendering of woman whose remains were found in suitcases. Police are trying to identify a woman as well as the person who killed her and then dumped her body parts in an intracoastal waterway. So coming out of Delray Beach, city police late Wednesday released an artist's rendering of what the unidentified woman whose remains were found last week in three suitcases floating along the intracoastal waterway might have looked like. The rendering, prepared by the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office Forensic Imaging Unit, shows a middle-aged woman with dark brown hair and eyes. And the picture I see is so kind of generic. I don't, I mean, very pretty girl, but kind of generic. So I don't know how much that would help. But yes, dark hair, dark eyes, thin eyebrows, full lips, a small nose. Uh, Delroy Beach Police have estimated that the woman whose remains were discovered Friday, was either white or Latin American, between the ages of 35 and 55 years old, and standing about 5 feet 4 inches tall. They also said she may have had tattooed eyebrows. So an accompanying rendering from PBSO suggests the clothing she was wearing when she was attacked, a white floral top believed to be made by the Brazilian company Betsub, Betsabe, and mid-thigh black shorts. Quote, it's important for the public to know that these reconstructed images are not an exact likeness of the victim or her clothing and are simply the interpretation of the artist, investigators said in a prepared statement posted on the agency's Facebook page. Delray Beach Police also released photos of two of the suitcases in which her remains were found, a purple Palm Beach Ricardo Beverly Hills bag and a green and black Polka Dot Charlie Sport bag. The police postings follow an appeal Monday for Delray Beach residents who live between the Linton Boulevard and George Bush Boulevard bridges to check their security camera footage for, quote, unusual cars or people between July 17th and July 20th, keeping an eye out for ones carrying luggage. The woman's remains were in the early stages of decomposition by the time a construction worker found the first suitcase on Friday morning. Police soon received calls about two other suitcases floating further south. Police have declined to say how they think the woman was killed. They believe the suitcases were dumped locally, but are investigating whether they entered the waterway north or south of Palm Beach County. Anyone with information is asked to call Detective Mike Liberta at 561-243-7824. So, if you know anything, 
let them know. And then our next article comes from ctvnews.ca, coming out of Canada. And it says, U.S. authorities arrest man in, quote, Nation River Lady cold case of woman found in Ontario. U.S. authorities have arrested a Florida man charged with murder in a decades-old Canadian cold case and have set a date for his extradition hearing. Court documents show Rodney Mervin Nichols, 81, was arrested by U.S. authorities on Tuesday in Hollywood, Florida, following a request by Ontario Provincial Police. OPP have charged Nichols with murder in the death of Jewel or Lala Langford, referred to as Lala Jewel Langford in the U.S. court documents. Police have said Langford, a 48-year-old who was from Tennessee, had traveled to Montreal in April of 75 and never returned home. Her body was found in the Nation River in eastern Ontario, but remained unidentified for decades, with the case being referred to as that of the Nation River Lady until forensic genealogy identified her in 2020. U.S. court documents say that when OPP questioned Nichols at a retirement home in February of 22, he initially denied any involvement in Langford's disappearance, but later said he had an altercation with her at his home in Montreal and subsequently dumped her body in the Nation River. The documents say Nichols appeared in a Florida court on Tuesday and an extradition hearing was set for September 26th. It is always good news when a murderer is captured. And our next article comes from sports.yahoo.com, and the title reads, Aaron Hernandez's brother, Dennis, arrested for allegedly planning shootings at Yukon Brown, U-C-O-N-N. The former Huskies football player and Brown quarterbacks coach is being held in lieu of a $250,000 bail. So Dennis John Hernandez, the older brother of the late New England Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez, is being held in a Connecticut jail on $250,000 bail after he allegedly planned and threatened to carry out two school shootings at UConn and Brown University. The 37-year-old was arrested July 19th and charged with threatening and breach of peace, according to a Bristol Police Department arrest log. According to the incident report, as cited by the Associated Press, two women told police they were very concerned about Hernandez and his recent, quote, very erratic behavior, adding he was extremely sick and that his mental health is continuing to deteriorate. A woman told police she had been dating Hernandez and loaned him her car so he could make a July 7th court date for a separate case. According to the report, Hernandez instead went to UConn, probably University of Connecticut, and Brown and entered a number of classrooms and buildings there. Hernandez has had multiple legal issues in recent months, according to TMZ Sports, some of them stemming from a May incident in which he allegedly threw a brick at ESPN's headquarters. Is TMZ, this is a side note, guys, is TMZ a reliable source these days? Because I remember when it kind of wasn't. Anyway, 
He was a two-time team captain for the Huskies football team, where he played quarterback and wide receiver from 2004 through 08. He also has a connection to Brown, working as the university's quarterbacks coach for the 2011 season. Police noted that they had previously spoken to another woman who said Hernandez had gone to quote map the schools out and claimed to have a bullet for everyone. Yikes! He also made threatening social media posts, according to the report. Will I kill? Absolutely, one post said. I've warned my enemies, so pay up front. The police findings led them to deem Hernandez quote gravely disabled and a danger to society, and dispatch officers to his home. Surrounded, Hernandez spoke with police on the phone. According to the report, he claimed to be armed, telling officers if we approached him, he would kill us all. Ooh. The report claims Hernandez left the house and walked around the back to approach police, yelling "Shoot me!" with his hands outstretched. He disregarded commands and was subsequently tased, according to the report. While Hernandez was being evaluated at the hospital, he allegedly said he quote was planning to still kill redacted, along with anyone who profited off of his brother Aaron. End quote. The redacted is the name of a person that the media is not, you know. So he was threatening to kill a very specific person. That's what I get out of it. So. He mentioned this to ESPN, but the police wouldn't say specific people. Anyway, so after he was booked at the Bristol Police Department, police were presented with a screenshot of a previously unreported threat Hernandez sent a family member, according to the report. Quote: "Yukon program is going to pay unless I have a package deal and I get my estate and every single thing I have worked for." Hernandez allegedly wrote, and then he also issued a warning, according to the report, to stay quote away from there because when I go, I'm taking down everything, and I don't give a redacted who gets caught in the crossfire. End quote. Probably, I don't give a fuck. I'm not scared to say, fuck. His brother Aaron Hernandez was convicted of murder in 2015 and died by suicide in custody two years later, two days after he was acquitted of a 2012 double homicide. He was posthumously diagnosed with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, in 2017. So that's that is a brain situation. It kind of, you know, it sounds to me like. The family might be having something going on there, right? Because, you know, more often than not, most often, you know, one sibling loses their mind, and the rest of them are completely perplexed, bamboozled, you know, heckin', taken off guard. But this kind of sounds like, you know, with two brothers having that situation. I don't know. Maybe we should look into the parents or the environment. Just saying. All right, guys. Everyone, hold on to your eyeballs because they're about to roll out of their head. From ktvb.com, title reads: Brian Koberger asks judge to throw out indictment. I told you to hold your eyeballs. So new court documents show the defense team is saying the prosecution misled the grand jury on the quote standard of proof. Oh God! So out of Moscow, Idaho. The defense team for the man accused of murdering four U of I students in November of 2022 has filed a motion to dismiss the indictment against him. 
According to new court documents, the defense team says the grand jury was misled about the standard of proof required for an indictment against Brian Koberger. In other words, the defense claims the grand jury was erroneously instructed with the information presented within the case, which falls in line with dismissing the indictment. Oh, good. This news comes just days after Koberger claimed he was, quote, elsewhere at the time when the murders were committed. Koberger did not specify where he allegedly was at the time of the murders, but said he reserves the right to say where he was if he is called as a witness at his trial. It is important to note this claim is not Koberger's alibi. Rather, it is notice of his intention to submit an alibi at a later time. Koberger, 28, is accused of murdering the four, well, college-age kids, at their off-campus home near the University of Idaho in November of 2022. His trial is scheduled to begin on October 2nd, 2023. Boy, he just, he just can't. I, okay, first and foremost, allegedly, supposedly, he's guilty, right? We have to say that. But at the same time, it's like, he just, like, dude, you're caught. Bro, you're caught. It's over. What are you doing? Just own it. So, in keeping with the theme the past couple of weeks, or maybe more, of animals deciding to turn on humans, our next article comes from WCYB.com, or News 5, and the title reads, Three Women Hurt, an Otter Attack in Montana, Authorities Say. And I have to keep telling you about these animals turning on humans, because it's, it's not funny, but it's funny. So, Missoula, Montana. Three women were hurt in an otter attack in Montana, according to the authorities. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks said one of the women had to be life-flighted to a hospital where she was treated for severe bites to her face and arms. Oof. The agency said the attack occurred on the Jefferson River Wednesday between 8.15 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. while the women were floating on inner tubes. The woman said they saw one or two otters, according to a news release, when one of the otters approached and attacked them. Morgan Jacobson, who works for the agency, told KECI it remains unclear if it was one or two river otters due to differing accounts from the chaos of the moment, but it appears that just one otter was behind the attack. Quote, the women got out of the water and the otter swam away, the release noted. Once on shore, they called 911. One of the women was flown by helicopter to a hospital in Bozeman, while the other had superficial wounds and were treated at the scene. Jacobson said otter attacks on people are rare, but otters can be defensive and protective. They typically give birth in April and can be seen with their young in the water in late summer, which can precipitate encounters. I mean, that makes sense if they felt like they were protecting their babies. He urged people to give otters and other wildlife plenty of space, especially when water levels are low. If you do encounter, okay, here's your warning, guys. You ready? If you do encounter an aggressive otter, Jacobson said, to fight back, leave the water and seek medical help. Don't cuddle them is what they're trying to say because my stupid ass would try to cuddle it. 
The agency said it is posting signs at fishing access sites in the area to alert people to otter activity, but wardens have no plans to locate, trap, or remove the animals. Well, no, because that's the animal's home. Why would they do that? And staying in the same vein as that, someone else sent me an article, sfgate.com, Bay Area and State News. The title reads, Sea Lions Charge Tourists at Popular California Beach. (sighs) So a video shared widely on Instagram shows sea lions charging toward people on a packed California beach, raising concern the humans are intruding on wildlife territory. You think... In the footage, several sea lions are playing around at La Jolla Cove, a small sandy beach with steep cliff walls in La Jolla, San Diego, while beachgoers are swimming and sunbathing. As a large sea lion saunters onto the beach, a lifeguard says over a speaker, quote, Everybody, let's please give that large male sea lion plenty of room. They have bitten people, and they are protected animals, end quote. Another big flippered animal rushes out of the water, sending people running and leading children to scream. The two sea lions appear to get into a kerfluffle. The article uses the word kerfluffle, I'm impressed, as the tourists flee the beach on a staircase. Quote, this looks like a fight between two male sea lions. John Hildebrand, a professor at Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego, told this news outlet in an email, quote, they are known to defend a territory. It just happens that people are in their territory, too, end quote. California sea lions are playful animals that usually avoid humans, but the males will aggressively defend their territories during breeding season, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Hildebrand said it's close to the end of breeding season. This isn't the first time the La Jolla sea lions went viral. Last year, a TikTok video taken at the same beach showed a frightened crowd of people running from the marine mammals who can move their large bodies of blubber faster on land than you'd ever imagine. In the comments of the latest video, many made the case that the beach should belong to the sea lions with statements such as, it's their home, and leave them alone. While La Jolla Cove is open year-round, Point La Jolla and Boomer Beach close for several months during the pupping season, according to NBC News. City officials are considering a plan for a year-round closure of Point La Jolla recommended by environmental groups. I'm telling you guys, the animal uprising is upon us. And actually, I had to take screenshots of a video article that was sent to me and now I've got to scroll and find them about here it is so this was uh, again a video so I took screenshots of it but it's from Jadira Bay in Malta I probably butchered that but it shows it was a video I took screenshots I already said that and it's these kids and they're kind of on this like t-shaped raft sort of temporary dock thing and they're all running oh and it says a day at the beach turned into a frightful ordeal in malta as bystanders found themselves being pursued by a massive tuna fish yes my friends and it was swimming on its side flapping its tail pretty close to the beach 
And then it said the terrified children ran towards the shore, screaming "shark" in panic, while onlookers mistook the tuna for a predator. Heart-stopping moment on video as the tuna splashed around on its side, propelling itself forward with its powerful tail fin. If you want to see video of this, just Google it. But it's you know like attack tuna on a beach in Malta. It was thought that the tuna had escaped from a local fish farm, most likely. So that was the end of the video article. But I just wanted to make sure that we got the animal uprising all in this episode. <laughs> and so our next article comes. Is this, an, this is another one that comes from the sfgate.com newsletters, uh, Bay Area and State. And the title reads, Skeletal Remains Found at UC Berkeley, Identified as Homicide Victim. So, human remains found on January 10th at UC Berkeley's Clark Kerr campus belong to a man who was the victim of a homicide university officials confirmed on Wednesday. DNA evidence suggests that the remains, which were allegedly found two years ago and went unreported to the police until January, what? likely belong to Stephen Lawrence McCreary, the University of California Police Department said. McCreary was born on October 8, 1972, and was approximately 37 years old when police say he was last confirmed to be alive in 2009. It does not appear there was media coverage when he went missing. Oh, that is sad. According to Wednesday's press release, McCreary, who was originally from Texas, Tejas, hitchhiked and traveled the country by train, occasionally spending time in the Bay Area. Oh, so he was a drifter. He was a traveler. Forensic evidence suggests he was killed years ago. He was not affiliated with the university. The release continued. UC Berkeley representatives declined to give further details, citing the ongoing investigation. Well, hopefully that is him and he's identified for his family's sake if he had any being that he was sort of a loner. All right, our next one comes from the Ben Gill Post, B-E-N-G-I-L post.com. Title reads, Gillespie man receives 60-year sentence for death of his mother. A Gillespie man was sentenced to 60 years in the Illinois Department of Human Services for the 2019 death of his mother. McCoupin County, McAlpin County State's Attorney Jordan Garrison announced on Thursday that Clinton Sanders, 39, was ordered into the custody of IDHS by Judge Joshua Meyer. Sanders was originally charged with first-degree murder, where he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, but the state proved Clinton posed a threat to cause serious harm to others or himself, which led to the IDHS sentence. On December 19th, Gillespie police conducted a welfare check at the residence of 79-year-old Sandra Sanders, where she was found outside the residence, barely responsive under a deck behind the house, and had suffered severe injuries to her head and neck. She was transported to Carlinville Area Hospital, where she succumbed to her injuries. A forensic pathologist report determined Miss Sanders died of blunt force trauma. Sandra and Clinton allegedly shared the residence. Clinton was at the residence at the time of the welfare check and was taken into custody by the Gillespie Police Department. Interviews conducted by Gillespie Police Chief Jared De- 
de Pope, de Pop, admitted to evidence showed Clinton claiming he was under spiritual attack, having conversations with no one else in the room, stating a demonic force takes over his body and directing invisible people to talk to the chief. So that kind of gives us an idea, all of us, of what was actually going on with him. Garrison said an expert opinion and a review of psychological records show Clinton was experiencing acute psychosis onset by multiple mental health disorders, which led to the not guilty verdict of the first degree murder charge that carried a 20 to 60 year sentence in the Department of Corrections. Clinton's sentencing this week for a, quote, period not of excess 60 years sets his maximum out date on December 16, 2079. Quote, I would like to thank all the Gillespie police officers who assisted in this investigation, as well as the Macoupin County State Attorney's Office, for their work in prosecuting this case, the chief said. I pray the Sanders family may find some measure of peace and healing moving forward. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to be super mad at a guy that's in that kind of psychosis. It's some serious shit. The next article comes from NBCNews.com. The title reads, Body found in a barrel that washed up on Malibu Beach. A body was found in a 55-gallon drum Monday near Malibu's famous Surfrider State Beach, authorities said. A report was called in around 10.30 a.m. about a body in a barrel that had washed up on the beach. Details about the cause of death or the identity of the person in the barrel were not immediately available. Homicide detectives were investigating, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department technician A.D. Latour said. The location of the initial report was 23200 Pacific Coast Highway. That corresponds to Surfrider and the 110-acre Malibu Lagoon State Beach. Except for an area being used by investigators, the beach would remain open, State Park's spokesperson George Moreno said by email Monday afternoon. Quote, California State Parks is working closely with the lead investigative entity on the incident, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. The beach, west of Malibu Pier, was made famous by the early 1960s beach and surfing movies and remains a prized location among California surfers. A body in a barrel. If you remember the old PewDiePie days, barrel. So we don't know male, female, or anything about that yet. So, I don't know. If anyone knows anything more about that, let me know. The next one comes from Newsbreak.com, the New York Post, and uh, the title reads, Cops ripped up Gilgo Beach suspect Rex Hewerman's bathroom, removed part of the tub and tiled floor, says his estranged wife. And yes, again, I will cover uh, Rex Hewerman when the dust kind of settles a little bit because I... I see so many people in this industry that are just hurrying to be the first, second, or third person to get the latest information out, but in their impatience and trying to be first in this industry, which is getting a little cutthroat, um, they often do not give accurate information, or it turns out that the information isn't accurate. So I'm biting, chomping at the bit, so to speak, 
for more information about this guy too, but I just feel like we need to be slightly more patient. With that said, chunks of alleged Gilgo Beach murderer Rex Hurman's bathroom were ripped out as a part of Copps' nearly two-week search of his Long Island home, his estranged wife revealed Monday. Photos exclusively obtained by the Post show a piece of the bathtub cut out. It was like the side of the bathtub, and it was one of those kind of like cube or it was a rectangle cube, but the actual tub part is behind that, if that makes sense, and they cut out just like the front wall of it. Um, as well as most of the tiled floor missing in Hewerman's dilapidated Massapequa Park Ranch Home. Ooh, I bet that was bad dilapidated. Interesting. So Hewerman's wife returned to the family's home with her children last week after cops wrapped up their search into the grisly 13-year-old slayings and said that her bathroom is now in parts and the rest of the house was left in shambles. Quote, I can't use my bathroom sink, she said. They cut up the bathtub because it's vinyl or whatever plastic that they got. And I got a toilet that I can flush, but the floor is ripped up, end quote. So she and her two children, Christopher Sheridan, 33, who has special needs, bless, and Victoria Hewerman, 26, were kicked out of their house after the accused killer was busted on July 13th. The bathroom, the picture of the bathroom that I'm seeing has a cardboard box in it with some shit in it. And the bathtub looks like it's perfectly fine, except the front of that is cut out, but it didn't compromise the tub's ability to hold water because the actual cupped down part wasn't cut into. And it looks like the tile was pulled up, but the floor is completely intact. So, you know, whatever. Rex Hewerman, 59, an architect with an office in Manhattan, was charged with three counts of murder in the deaths of three of these women it's the you know long island serial killers so he is the prime suspect in the death of another girl the remains of the so-called gilgo four were found along gilgo beach in december 2010 so here are some more pictures of their house and there is just boxes and shit everywhere so i'm looking at this and i'm thinking that and correct me if i'm wrong please i invite you to it looks like there's a lot of boxes there. Are they going to be boxing up stuff as they're taking it out of the cabinets in the kitchen, let's say? this The picture I'm seeing is of the kitchen. And put stuff in boxes and then just put those boxes in different places. And one would think that they would just take it out. I don't really see that a search warrant search in a house is going to be organized enough to bring boxes in. Correct me if I'm wrong, of course. So cops launched a thorough search of the Hewerman home after the arrest, combing through the house and backyard until packing up and allowing the family to move back in last week. Officials said the search had to be thorough because the, ca the case sat dormant for so long. They also searched an Amityville storage unit belonging to Hewerman. Amityville. Authorities have not yet said what they found. He is expected in court on Tuesday, which was this past Tuesday, because I'm getting so many articles that I'm going to have to probably, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, that was the end of that article. So we'll talk about it. So I did a poll on Instagram. I did a poll on Spotify. I did one on Facebook where I was asking, because there's so many people that are really enjoying Monday Morning Murder in the News, 
I get a lot of people sending me a lot of articles, which is fantastic. I love it. Okay. I love it. But there's so many that I don't want to make. Well, I'm sure you guys would be okay with a two hour long, but you know, I have to get up for work in the morning as well. So I was thinking about splitting it up and doing two murder in the news a week and with the one regular podcast and by far and wide, everyone wanted two murder in the news in a week. So we've got Monday morning murder in the news. You guys tell me what I should name the second one and on what day. So I will leave that up to you guys. And so our final article is one that I probably should have covered last week. But again, there's so many articles. But this is the last one for today. It comes from USA Today. And the title reads, Alicia Navarro Updates. Police question man after teen missing for years located. So this has been in the news for a bit. So bear with me if you know about this. But... It says an Arizona teenager who had been missing since 2019 stopped by a Montana police department alone on Sunday and identified herself, sparking questions about her disappearance and recent life that are still swirling days after police announced the news. So this girl was missing in Arizona. She came walking into a Montana police department, and I believe it was just like right over the Canadian border. Maybe not, but I'm feeling pretty strongly that that's the truth. So Olivia with an A, Navarro, now 18, vanished from Glendale, Arizona in September 2019. Since coming forward about a week ago, she has spoken remotely with her family who are in Arizona. Detectives from Glendale executed a search warrant Wednesday and detained a man who has since been released in Havre, Montana, H-A-V-R-E, Montana. Now, the police have not released the identity of the man and have not made any arrests in the case. Glendale Police spokesperson Gina Wynn said authorities are working to determine what happened over the past four years and whether a crime occurred. Kidnapping is a possibility, the authorities said. But the good news is, no matter what is going on with this girl or what has gone on with this girl, it's said that when she was found, she was safe, happy, and healthy. So was it, I mean... Obviously, she was a minor when she disappeared, which could very well be a kidnapping situation. I think that's probably the gut instinct of all of us, right? But she's an adult now, and if she's super happy where she is, I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of a gray area, isn't it? So that is what I have for you guys for Monday. Um, Again, please let me know what you would like me to name the next one and on what day, because murder... Monday morning murder in the news all rolls off. It's MMM, you know, that's nice. But should we do um, like Wednesday morning murder in the news, Friday morning murder? I was thinking Friday might be kind of cool because that's like sets you up for your last day of work for the business week for those people who are off on weekends. Kind of like a hello to the weekend. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think, what you want. This is all for you. So another Monday is upon us going to be okay. Uh, we're in this together. As I always say, I'm sure you get sick of hearing that every single time, but I love you guys. Have a great week. Make good decisions. Don't do drugs. Don't do meth. That is bad for you. And also I implore all of you do a random act of kindness. This is something that I tell my kids every single day. You should do one little thing that is 
out of your way to be kind to someone else, be it compliment a woman's hair or compliment a guy's shoes if you can tell he's a, a sneaker nerd or whatever. But I, I actually ask you guys, go out of your way once a day to just do something kind. I think maybe if we all did this every single day, the world might be a little bit better place. I mean, you know, we have... The government said that aliens are real and here we are going, I don't give a fuck. Why is everything so expensive, right? So let's just be kind. All right, guys, have a great week.